This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. It's time for bookends. Welcome back to Bookends for 2022. It's uh, been a great time to read, uh, though it's been very sunny and people have been outside and been very active over the summer, I'm sure. But uh, I took lots of chances to read uh, quite a few different kinds of books too. And two of the fiction ones that I read, uh, The Frog Prince by James Norcliffe and The Freedom of Birds by Stephanie Parkin. Josephine's Garden was one of my favourite books by Stephanie Parkin a few years ago and uh, now she brings a very rich and immensely enjoyable blend, another enjoyable blend of fact and fiction in The Freedom of Birds. Welcome to the programme, Stephanie. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. We're again in Napoleonic times. Um, This time, well, it's the latter stages of the wars and uh, as the vast empire crumbles, parrots... Paris itself is now at risk of invasion. Is this a favourite time of yours, Napoleonic Wars? Well, I was just really interested to uh, complete that whole political saga, I guess, of that, you know, um, looking at what the French Revolution and then the build-up of um, Napoleon uh, coming to power in Josephine's Garden. And this book is is more about what happens for the little people um, in those wars and what, you know, what's happening at the final years of that um, empire. So, yeah, it just, it felt very complete for me to... It does. Look yes. at that whole thing. Yes, yeah. it really does. Um, you've done, you did some of the writing in France. You had a um, a writer in residence. Tell me about that. Yes, that was amazing. I got to stay in an actual chateau, so um, very beautiful uh, setting, and it was uh, with this sort of fairy tale outlook over to a um, church and over a lake and the fields and. Um, and, yeah, just an amazing experience to spend a couple of weeks uh, working on both actually finishing edits for Josephine's Garden and writing scenes for this novel, The Freedom of Birds. And um, I didn't actually know it at the time, but some of those important battles that happen around Paris um, as the uh, allies and ex-allies are uh, coming in towards Paris happened in that region that I uh, happened to be for the residency. So that was just a serendipity, actually. I didn't know it at the time that I was going to need to know what that landscape looked like. So, yeah, that was that was very good. And did you visit um, Milan and uh, Venice then? Yes. Um, I actually visited Milan for research for Josephine's Garden. So that was, that was good to be able to bring that in as well. Um, and I'd been to Venice a couple of times before in the past as well. So you sort of bring in those memories of your travels. Yeah. Yes, it's wonderful storytelling, of course, and um, quirky characters. So what time frame are we talking about? Because um, the... Uh, Comédie Italienne was a theatre in Paris beginning in 1680, wasn't it? Yes, sort of more like a more of a travelling troupe for the um, 
for the Kings at Versailles and so forth as it started. And then um, it's set up in Paris. And the years that I'm looking at are more like the early 1800s. And and this, the novel itself focuses much of the time on 1812 to 1814, that sort of end of the um, Napoleon era. And, uh, yeah, but those... Um, Theatres. It was based on a, on a real theatre, but I've completely invented the characters and people and um, look of it as well. Gianni, so Gian, it Gian, in a real place. Sorry, <laughs> Gianni was uh, in in charge, and uh, he really had a a troop of orphans, didn't he, around him? And one of them, of the three main characters, um, Remy was um, one of them who has. In the first chapter, we are introduced to Remy and his m- mother, and um, it's quite a mystery at the end of that first chapter. And I think, what on earth's going to happen? It was a real page turner there to begin oh, with, because uh, she has to go away, and he doesn't know his father, and um, he was going to be in a big play. He was very ambitious and very young, and. He he couldn't because it was too late. His mother had put him into hiding, hadn't she, with um, Pascal, his great friend. So that's the opening, and from then on, it's um, it's a real. It's this mystery. There's everything. So t- tell me about Remy Victoire and Pascal. Pascal was played the lute, and he did lots of costume work in the company, and. Um, why did you choose? Why, why were they two characters you'd read about, or were they quite out of your imagination? Yeah. Well, they're completely invented. But um, Remy is actually the child from my first novel. So, in my first novel, there's a woman. It's called Into the World, and it was based on the story of a woman that went around the world um, on one of the early voyages of of exploration, and she gave up an illegitimate child when she went on that ship. So I wanted to imagine what would have happened to that boy and would it have been the dire consequences of uh, what, you know, reality of 80% of foundling children were, um, you know, died very early. Or could I imagine a more exciting life for him? So so this is his more exciting life. Um, and, you know, I loved the idea of making unconventional families and theatres are one of those sorts of places that that might occur and you know there's sort of family and friendships that sustain these characters through their trials and tribulations but um, not the conventional style of family perhaps even though they're sort of looking for that kind of comfort as well from each other. Yes and they meet up with Saskia um, and she's got her own horse, they've got Henrietta, their horse, and uh, off they go on their travels. And uh, it's just an amazing story of three young people. They're they're all looking for friendship, family, and uh, or some kind of place where they belong. Yes, that's right. And um, it is a bit of a coming of age for them too. You know, Mm. Remy is a bit of a showman. But he's quite arrogant and he doesn't perhaps treat his friends as <laughs> well as he should. So he's got some learning to do and he's got to get over his, uh, you know, things with his mother. He's got to deal with that, um, abandonment issues. And, um, yeah, so they've all got their 
things that they are dealing with and, um, yeah, sort of things that would, you know, affect young people even today perhaps, you know. And then there's the extra challenge because um, uh, they're French and they, um, the wars are uh, crumbling, Napoleon's crumbling, and um, so they're not being welcomed. Um, Remy's a great storyteller, but nobody really wants to listen anymore because they're becoming anti-France. Yes, that's right. It was um, uh, another thing I learned through the research, I guess, is just how much those stories were part of um, a building nationalism for uh, that area of Germany that they were in, um, which wasn't Germany then, but is now. Uh, and that sort of how those Brothers Grimm story, the Brothers Grimm were collecting their uh, stories at that time and publishing in that year that my characters turn up in, in the same place that they are. So uh, it was really interesting to look at the, the role of stories in, in in building a culture and the fact that everybody is turning against this French rule and um, really looking at what it is that makes them different and you've unique. Called, yes, yeah. you've called this novel The Freedom of Birds. Where did that come from? was a last minute name change actually so um, it had been the lost children all the way through and um, and then uh, yeah my publisher suggested maybe something more open and outward and um, there is a lot of that sort of migratory movement and travel um, and all of my books are about finding freedom and independence in some way. (laughs) I quite liked that. So that was where it came from. (laughs) Yes, well, I liked that because uh, somewhere in the story you say that the orphans are like gulls. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and (laughs) And I I had used birds a lot throughout before I even had that name. You know, birds are quite a feature. They are. Um, mm. It's it's a clever title, very clever title. It's a clever story because... um, I certainly, uh, you blend the fact and fiction so um, smoothly that you never quite know. (laughs) And uh, um, (laughs) Well, you do know about Napoleon, of course, and the wars, but um, the other is um, a great blend. That's quite quite special special to be able to do that. Do you find it... Thank you. Do you find it comes naturally or you sort it out before you start or what do you do? Uh, it must come naturally a bit because I don't um, make an active uh, effort to do anything with that. But I guess when I learn something interesting, <laughs> it has to relate to the story in some way. You know, I can't just throw in random um, facts that I've found. Uh, so I guess it's just being careful um, that you are making it relevant to the themes or um, relevant to the characters. Uh, what what you've found out and 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 I guess um, playing off the political stuff with the personal stuff so that that um, it's reinforced in how someone might feel when you've got um, maybe say with the French Revolution when they were um, trying to get independence um, so was my character so yeah on the personal and a political level that's one way to sort of smooth those things out. Yes, it's a great mix. And the other character who I loved was Colin Bean. 
Yes. yes. <laughs> she was suddenly yes. appearing, and um, Rime was going to be falling in love with her temporarily. But um, yes, that's right. She was already married, so that was no, yes. not a good line to, to take. But uh, she added sort of opulence, didn't she, to these um, three who were living on very little. Um, yeah. And she's. Um, beautifully dressed and has money to be a patron and um, yes that was quite a nice uh, contrast yes I think it could be just a bit too much the same if if it continued you know yes. as they were so, so no. it throws them into a whole different world and I just loved looking at those you know there were people that were um, you know, very politically motivated and they mm. were using the arts, they wanted to change the world and, you know, that's who she is, basically. Yes. So you're coming to Christchurch um, on um, February the 8th and you're going yes. to be talking at the Ralston Library at 10.30, Stephanie Parkin, yes. who's the author, and uh, you're going to be at Turanga at 6pm. So we'll look forward to meeting you there, Stephanie, and uh, people have a chance to go to either one of those, or both, um, but yes. try and get along to one of those events because um, it'll be it'll be so good to have Stephanie down here. So Look for the Thank freedom, you. the freedom of birds by Stephanie Parkin, and it's published by Ellen and Anwan. You're listening to Bookends on Plains FM ninety six point nine. There is no need to introduce James Norcliffe to a New Zealand literary audience because um, he's already there. Children love his stories; they're quirky, they're witty, and clever and quite challenging at times. And then he's one of our favourite poets. So here you are, James, welcome, with your very first adult novel. And I thought, why is he writing an adult novel? I want more children's books. (laughs) And then when I got into The Frog Prince, I was delighted. uh, Did you have a reason for doing this, or were you wanting a change? Um, Not really. I've always had at the back of my mind the challenge of of writing for adults, or Mm. as I prefer to call them, big children. Um, And this this seemed to be, uh, when I saw the uh, Randall Cottage was open, I suddenly thought of of doing this. But it was really prompted by um, my buying in a second-hand shop a a full copy of the Grimm stories. and uh, by, by Jack Zipes, the, the, the authoritative edition, and I read the original Frog King. And uh, it was quite bizarre as a story because um, I think most people can say, well, you know the Frog King, the Frog King story? Yes, that's the one where the prince, princess kisses the frog. Um, well, in the, in the real story, the, kiss, the princess doesn't kiss the frog. The princess is so angry with the frog, he flings it against the wall and tries to kill it. And it's only when he hits the wall that he turns into a king because um, he'd been enchanted by a witch and uh, promptly then asks the woman, who, who is, a, in the terms of the story, a prized bitch, <laughs> to marry her and be his wife. And she, of course, seeing the big, seizing the main chance, accepts immediately. And, you know, that and a whole lot of other things about the story were really, really odd. And, of course... What a challenge. Yeah, well, playing around with ideas, I just wondered, why? How could this come about? And so I, I came up with a, with a very interesting and completely fictional um, idea of, of uh, 
others might have happened. Um, and it's it works so well because you're already writing two stories. Yes, it's a dual narrative. Um, I, I paired it with another story that I had in the back of my mind since I'd been visiting my uh, daughter in, in, in Germany and uh, in, in the city of Bonn, which actually features in the book, uh, at the front and the back of the book. And um, the, the idea of somebody uh, suddenly, without any reason, disappearing and, and, and that being a bit of a mystery... And that all happens at a school um, that uh, David, a New Zealand teacher, yes, yes, is a New Zealand. It's, it's a sort of a love affair. It's, yes, it's a really, it's a real mishmash of a book. I've, I've actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's a historical novel. Uh, it's a sort of a mystery story. It's a love story. It's a social comedy because I, 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 I love humour, and there's some of the characters that are sort of grotesques and. In a, in a very funny sort of way. Well, I found um, I liked the balance of the two stories, really, mm. because uh, it was meatier having the two stories, yes, I felt. Yes. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, I read one chapter and then I read another chapter on the other one. And I liked that because it's really a page turner. Well, that's right. Because I didn't uh, know whether I wanted to go right through with the Grimm's brothers or went right <laughs> I, through I, with I, David yes, looking think, for Cara. I think the page-turning thing is something that I've got from writing children's books because, mm. you know, you really need to have them... That's the uh, challenge, isn't it, with children's moving books? moving story mm. that mm. keeps going, and, and that, that was very useful. Which, but the dual narrative idea I, I um, got from my, one of my favourite writers, a Japanese writer called Haruki Murakami, who years ago wrote a... Very strange, but all of his books are strange. But I wrote a book called uh, IQ or 1Q84. Uh, and that was a dual narrative with a story of one character, next chapter, second character, next chapter, back to the first chapter. And that's mm. all, the way, all the way through. And I, I, was, I tried that with a children's book called Felix and the Red Rats. Um, nervous that kids wouldn't be able to cope with a dual narrative, but it worked really, really well. So, yeah, I came back to it. <laughs> so, with um, having the time in Wellington at the rental yes, cottage yes. gave you time, and also, uh, quite accidentally, sort of, uh, you had a daughter in Germany. <laughs> That's right. Yes, so, um, yes. you were well, placed for your research. Well, it gets better than that because uh, we also have a, a what we call our German son, who was an exchange student when our, our kids were at high school. Um, and uh, we've kept contact with Carsten all of these years, and he's now living in Cologne, but married to a French girl, that we was at the time, <laughs> married to a French girl. And uh, she was keen for us to see uh, where her parents lived, which is in a small village uh, just out of Arras. So we spent a week down there, and that's the other setting for the book, the, yes. the city of Arras in northern France, which is the site of all of those uh, battles in the First World War. Well, we're led to believe that all these uh, grim fairy tales uh, (laughs) do have uh, often have happy endings, but your original (laughs) certainly didn't. Well, it it did in a way. I suppose it did because the prince, the prince married the princess, but you you can't imagine it being a very happy marriage given the personality of the princess. No, indeed. So, did you have a, a? how did you treat them? How did you go about the writing? Did you write one story and then the other? Oh, no, 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 no. I wrote it. You wrote it, them wrote as, it as, wrote, as, as it as reads. You, as you read mm. it. Um, yes. Yeah. And unlike, unlike the Murakami and unlike Felix and the Red Rats, the stories don't actually merge or meld, but I think they uh, talk to each other in they terms do. of theme and, 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 and some of the broader issues. 
It yeah. also gave me a chance to, like, you know, it also gave me a chance to write a story about writing stories because it's really a bit of a meditation in some ways on storytelling. And the Grimmers brothers were not storytellers, but they collected stories. And uh, it, it, it delves into that area, I think, quite a lot. And we meet uh, the two young women, Matilda and Helga, yes, um, yeah. whose grandmother had told yes, them stories. She, she tells them stories. And they and, take and them along to um, the see if the Brothers Grimm yeah, would yeah, like yeah. to add them hmm. to their collection. So that's a lovely story in itself. Hmm. And I, um, you know, Wilhelm and Jacob um, are the two Grimm's brothers. Hmm. And then, um, yes, for me, it was having a story from way back in the past, in the beginnings mm. of the 1800s, and then um, coming back to the present day, really, um, I, I saw it as um, not long ago, or mm. If, um, mm. a contemporary story of David, who was um, at times um, hopeful always of um, <laughs> meeting Cara again, yes. and then um, when... I won't talk. I won't tell no, you any more. Can't tell you any more about that. But um, it, and the and the quirkiness of people like Angus on the staff, mm, and mm. and I've been on a high school staffs <laughs> many years ago, and it's um, it's delightful because mm. he looks around and all of these, but. Um, Cara's the one he wants yes, to find. Yes, the, the schools, are, it's an international school. It's yes. also a boarding school and a lot of the staff Stay live together. So it's quite in. a hotbed of gossip and intrigue yes. and, and, and backstabbing yes. and all sorts of things. <laughs> that was fun to write. Yes, it would have been. It would have been. Yeah. And it, um, it's it's a great read mm. because I, I don't think I expected the two stories. In fact, I thought, oh, the Frog Prince, don't I know mm. enough about that? Mm. And then when I read this about two chapters in, I thought, oh, no, this isn't uh, anything about the Frog Prince that I know of, <laughs> and it's um, a contemporary story as well. So you you, get, you have a surprise. The reader yes, has a surprise, yes, yes. but don't think it's going to be um, Grimm's fairy tales of the, the Frog Prince that we were all brought up mm, in mm. on. We did have a debate about the title because it, uh, yes. the, the original story is The Frog King. Um, I didn't know that. Yes, and uh, I... But I wanted to stick with the Frog Prince, yes, and, uh, because it, it, it well it, it's a differential for a start, yes. Uh, but it also um, alludes to the fact of of the sort of immaturity of the <laughs> of all the candidates for Frog Prince in the book, and there's more than one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's um, a great entry into adult writing mm. if there's uh, any difference. And I think both are just as difficult. Um, Mm. And to be able to go from one to the other with ease, as you have done, uh, is remarkable. So you you must be, I hope you'll continue to do this and (laughs) we'll have some more adult stories um, dealt with in the same way as you deal with children's stories. That's what I love um, because you haven't changed your style. With still all the wit and the cleverness and the plot twists, and that's what I really enjoy in in adult fiction. And you've got that, you know. I just keep thinking back to some of your children's stories that my children have loved and my mm. grandchildren love. And uh, I, you know, it's just delight to have them. So I'm glad you kept the oh, title thank The Frog Prince yes, yes, because. Um, you know, um, late adolescence. Well, I, I don't think I don't think um, there's any boundaries in writing. 
really. No, it, it is a continuum. Yes, they fuse into one yes it does. So, James, let's finish with the poem at the beginning of the story because uh, I'm glad you put a poem in this book. The poem's called I and Heinrich, and just to explain, I and Heinrich also features in the original story, but right at the very end, and yet the story itself is called The Frog King and Iron or I and Heinrich. And, uh, but he only appears for about ten lines in, in, in the book, and I'll, you have to go back to the uh, original story to, uh, to discover how and why that happens. Uh, but here's a poem. I and Heinrich. There was a tenderness in the lily pond as the princess leaned over her reflection, over ripples of white silk and suggestion. A tenderness as her soft warm lips and soft warm breath came ever closer to the cold clamminess of the frog's green forehead, his spawn-scented mouth. Her heart was not in it. She could not see ever after. Iron Heinrich saw it. That's why he clanked and clanked and clanked with laughter. James Nocliffe with The Frog Prince, his first adult fiction, and uh, it's an absolute delight, and it's published by Vintage. And join us, Moran Rout and Ruth Todd, next Tuesday on Bookends on Plains FM 96.9.